you have your Bibles, join me in the book of Psalms. Psalm 27. And I'll, I'll say to anybody here, echoing what Pastor Lucas said in the first half, if, if you would like to repent and be baptized, we got more towels and more robes. Amen. If you want to receive the Holy Spirit, it's here for you too. It is a gift, freely given to whosoever will. All that requires is you to genuinely repent and say, God, I, I need you. Now, I don't want to brush over repentance. It's a powerful and beautiful part of the whole experience. It's not just saying, God, I'm sorry for my sins. There is an element of tears that sometimes goes with that and, and, and the grief and the shame. But, but it's not, I don't say that to say that you should repent for three years or even maybe 30 minutes. But to say that don't forego that important piece of the step and the process because feeling the forgiveness of God wash over you and his peace tell you, I forgive you. That's a beautiful part of repentance. And it, if, if you think that feels good, when you go down in the water in Jesus' name, it's that ten times better. And if you think that feels good, just wait till you speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives utterance. And if you think that feels good, just wait until the first time, like Pastor Lucas, you're walking through your apartment or house and all of a sudden begin to speak in tongues and you're living for God day in and day out. And if you think that feels good, just wait for the day when the trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ rise first. Woo! Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm already preaching. I haven't even read my scripture yet. Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. With the help of the Holy Ghost, I'm going to preach for just a few minutes one thing. One thing thing. Father, let the living word preach the written word. Make my tongue the pen of a ready writer and inscribe your word on our hearts. Open our understanding that we might comprehend the scripture. Cause every hindrance to be rebuked and cast out and destroyed. And let us be convicted and converted by your love and truth. And we pray this in the majestic and the marvelous and the magnificent name of Jesus Christ. And if you love that name, would you clap your hands and bless the Lord with me. Hallelujah. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for joining us online. Thank you for joining us in person. Amen. We welcome all of you in the name of the Lord. I want you to know one encounter with Jesus is enough to transform your life forever. I want you to further know that one encounter with Jesus turns mistakes into miracles, pain into purpose, and turmoil into a testimony. Praise God. David wrote most of the Psalms, and we know from Acts chapter 2, 29 and 30, that he was a prophet. So based on the depth of the prophetical writings that he wrote for us, and I don't have time to go through all of them, you can go to the archive and listen to all the past psalms I've preached up to 103. We'll start them again in May. But you can understand that he knew who Jesus was, and I believe I can safely say David had had an encounter with Jesus. What's interesting about David's one thing is that he has a couple things working against him. You see, David is from the tribe of Judah, not Levi. He can't go into the house of the Lord, i.e. that innermost sanctum, the holy place or the most holy place. That's only for the Levites. And, and even that, it's only for the high priest once a year into the holy place, most holy place. Secondly, David comes from a very sullied past and has one himself. 
David is the first after 10 generations that can finally go back into the sanctuary because 10 generations before him, there was an immoral and illicit situation that then prohibited the next 10 generations from going into the sanctuary. It was their law, their custom. It was a sinful mess of immorality that stained the family tree. It included a pagan from Moab and a prostitute from Jericho. And yet those two persons, Ruth and Rahab, are mentioned in the lineage of Jesus. Can I tell somebody, it doesn't matter what your history is. It doesn't matter what your pedigree was. It doesn't matter who your mommy or daddy were. If you've been born again, you have a Christ culture. Hallelujah. And so therefore, for David to reduce his one thing down to dwelling in the house of the Lord all the days of his life means that David truly sought after the Lord who was his light and salvation. We praise Solomon for his, his wise answer to God in asking for wisdom, and, and rightly we should. But we should also praise David for being uh, the man after God's own heart who could bring it down to one thing, that he would dwell in the house of the Lord. I want you to think just for a brief moment, if you were given the opportunity, if right now God appeared to you and said, I want you to bring it to one, th what is one thing you desire of me? What is one thing you would ask for? I don't want to make it uh, sacrilegious like the genie that comes out and you got three wishes. No, but I want you just for a minute to imagine if God said to you, I'm going to do one thing right now in your life, what would that one thing be? If God said, I want to know the one thing you desire most, what would it be? And while you're thinking on it, allow me to take you through a journey of four different people that had an encounter with Jesus. In Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22, we read of the account of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus calling him a good teacher, asking him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus saying to him, hey, why do you call me good? There's none good. But God, go and do all the commandments. And, and he says, well, teacher, I've, I've done all them from my youth up. And, and thinking that he might have a, an A plus and be able to, to you know, get the accreditation, so to speak, Jesus then looks at him and he says in verse 21, one thing you lack I've kept the commandments from the youth up I've been a good boy I've been a good religious Christian I've gone to church I've given my tithes I've done all of that I've prayed I've fasted everything one thing you lack now I want you to know what's interesting is Jesus never told anybody else it's not recorded in any rule, law, or principle that we have to do this, i.e. sell everything we have and give to the poor and follow Jesus. He never said that as a requirement of Christianity. So why did he say it to this man? Because of what the Bible says in verse 22. But he was sad at, his, at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. I don't believe Jesus was being absolutely literal. I believe he was getting to the heart of the problem with that man. He was thinking about an eternal inheritance, but only on the surface. And when the rubber met the road, he was too accustomed with the cares of this life, with the possessions he had. Oh, I don't know if I could give that up. Oh, I don't know. I, I really like that. I like that convenience. I, I like that amount of money in my bank account. I like that career. I like this and that and the other thing. And he went away sorrowful because the one thing he lacked was an understanding of eternity. Now, I want to preach for just a minute and tell somebody that you've got to look beyond the here and now and see the forever. If there is one thing that you lacked which would bring you into a complete relationship with God, I would hope that you would do whatever that one thing was. 
If there was one thing that would cause you to realize your need of Jesus and an encounter with Him, I would to God that you would do it. I asked the Lord as I was preparing these notes and even this morning to help me preach as a dying man to dying people and to convince you about the eternal weight of glory. There is nothing or nobody on this planet that is more valuable to me than my eternity and the inheritance I have in Jesus. I don't want anything to come in between me and that relationship with God, I don't want anything to hold me back. I don't want to get all the way to the judgment seat and him say, one thing you lack. I want to be able that right now, under a spirit of conviction, I can look inwardly to my heart and say, God, open me up. Shine your light upon me. I don't want anything to hold me back from that deep relationship with you. <clears throat> this past Monday, Victor Jackson posted on his social media account, and some of you shared it. He said, the same event that caused people to leave God are the same events that cause people to cleave to God. Pain, hurt, failure can make you leave or cleave. It just depends on who or what you are devoted to. <sighs> so can I say it this way? Don't let one thing keep you from an encounter with Jesus. I would even go as far as to say this. If you're here today and you're thinking, that was cool that a little boy got baptized. I think I'd like to be baptized, maybe in a couple of weeks. Can I say to you, friend, brother, sister, person, guest, member, online person, whoever you are, please don't wait. There's an immediacy in my spirit. There's a sense of urgency today. I was talking to someone the other day, and I said, I would not let anything keep me back from making sure I'm right with God. Don't let one thing keep you from an encounter with Jesus. My next two people I want to introduce you to who had an encounter were Martha and Mary, and Luke chapter 10 records the account that we're going to refer to Jesus has gone into a certain village and there a woman named Martha has welcomed him to her house and she has a sister named Mary that's uh, verse 39 and but Bible says in verse 40 Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said Lord you, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone therefore tell her to help me I'm not going to ask you for a show of hands but how many of you can ever say you identify with Martha before uh-huh Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things. But watch this. One thing is needed. And Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. I want you to understand something about Martha's predicament here. What she was doing was good. Serving. But notice how the writer said it. She was distracted with much serving. She was identifying herself by what she did for the Lord rather than her relationship with the Lord. She could tell you how many times she's vacuumed the floor, done the dishes, you know, drove the van, etc. and so forth. And she could also tell you quite frankly and matter-of-factly who hasn't helped her. Oh boy. But in that moment, serving wasn't what needed to be done. The one thing that was needed was to be at the feet of Jesus. Can I just, uh, ah, help my spirit, Lord. I, I want to say this, and, and, and I'm, I'm really asking God to help me be in the right spirit. But let me tell you something. When the preaching and teaching of the word of the Lord is going forth, it's time for you to be devoted to God. Now, I realize we have children. I realize sometimes they cry. I realize we got to do that. I understand those things. But so help me, if you're doing your checkbook, if you think you can handle something or talk to somebody, and you don't think that the preached Word of God is what that person needs or what you need, you've got a Martha spirit. 
Well, that's good preaching, Bishop. Yes, it is. Amen. Hear me. We need to serve. But when, it's, when the word is going forth, we need to hear the word. Like Martha, the church of Ephesus was doing a work for the Lord, but neglected the Lord of the work. So don't become distracted with serving and neglect the one thing that you need to do in that moment, which is to be at the feet of Jesus. Being distracted, notice the the wording of the verses, being distracted will lead you to be worried and troubled about many things. If you don't believe me, talk to my wife or Jackie and, and ask them, worry can produce stress in your body, which can produce sickness in your body physically. Jesus was trying to help her not to become stressed. And it's very quite possible the word he was teaching and preaching to that day would have given her the hope she needed, which is why Mary had found that one thing that was needed. Why is this so important? Why, why am I lingering on it just a little bit? Well, let's see what the book of Romans has to say in chapter 10. I know you'll recognize some of it when I begin reading it here. Romans 10. I believe I gave it to you guys back there, right? Verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings, good things. Amen. But they have not all obeyed uh, the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report. Watch verse 17. Now this is the verse we quote a lot. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And you've heard me before, like Brother Tenney used to say, faith comes by hearing and 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 hearing by the Word of God. Well, what's one of the main times we're hearing the Word of God? Jesus was teaching. Lucas taught the first half. Myron's teaching the second half. Amen. There's teaching and preaching of the Word. So the one thing that is needed when the Word is going forth is to be in connection with it. Why? Because faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Last person I want to introduce you to today is Paul. In the book of Philippians chapter 3, Paul, by the way, Philippians is written, we know for certain it's written from a jail. And yet it's the most joyful book of all the New Testament. Isn't that something? Isn't that ironic that the most joyful book is written from a prison cell? Dear Lord, help us. Watch what he says. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. In other words, I haven't quite reached the goal of what I want to be and who I want to be in God. But watch what he says. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind And reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He knew there were going to be obstacles. He knew there was going to be difficulties. He knew he had a past that would plague him if he dwelt on it, if he kept his mind on it. So what he chose to do in order to reach the prize was forget that, which is also what God does, not remember our sins against us and constantly strive and reach for the prize that was before him. Paul had a past that haunted him, but he said, I'm going to forget it. I'm going to leave it under the blood and I'm going to reach forth. I'm going to go where God is calling me. I want to remind you in the Holy Ghost, God doesn't call you from your past. He might call you in your past, but he's calling you out of your past and he's calling you from your future. Hallelujah. We sometimes have the memory of an elephant and we remember what others did against us. But God makes an effort to say, I will not remember your sins against you. In fact, I'm convinced that if you go to God and say, God, you remember what I did in 1997? If it's under the blood, God's going to say, no. I'm choosing to forget. Hallelujah. 
So forget it and reach forth into the future from where God calls you. You're not a sinner. You're a saint. Of course you're not perfect. Neither am I. But we're forgiven. You're an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You're a royal priesthood. You have obtained mercy. Walk in that authority. Amen? And choose to be like Paul, forgetting what is behind you and reaching forth to what is before you. Before our testimonies, if, uh, Brother Michael, if you'd get ready, please. Before our testimonies begin to come today, I want to return just briefly to David, which we opened with. In the book of Psalms 122, also a psalm of David, he writes, and the first lyric is, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the... Anybody ever quoted that? Anybody ever said that? Anybody ever used that as your check-in on Facebook? So I'm glad to go to church today, right? You know why that was significant for David? If you remember, if you were paying attention, what I said at the beginning, 10 generations weren't able to go into the temple. Ten, his daddy wasn't able to go. His grandpa wasn't able to go. His great grandpa wasn't able to go. 10 generations had not been able to go, but he was the first in a long line that was able to finally go in. And he was saying, I'm not going to ruin it. I'm not going to spoil it. This one thing I like, I desire I want to dwell in the house of the Lord I was glad when they said unto me let us go unto the house of the Lord you too can proclaim that like David because the Bible says come boldly before the throne of grace amen clap your hands to the Lord praise the Lord Brother Michael's coming with our first testimony today. Amen. Kind of nervous to go after that. Wow. <laughs> he did some preaching today. Uh, I thank Bishop for the time that I'm here and be able to share my testimony. Um, I grew up as a child in Alabama and Grew up faithfully in the Southern Baptist Church. My mom took me every Sunday, every Wednesday, and grew up there. Um, at age 16, I was water baptized in Jesus in the Baptist Church at that time. And I grew up most of my teenage years as a, um, dedicated to God and trusting in God. I got married at 24, right out of college, to a lady I'd met at the Southern Baptist Church. And that's where I started going away from God. Um, as our marriage went on for 30 years, I ended up divorcing after 30 years with three kids. Um, in that marriage, we started drifting away from God. We thought uh, we had a special needs child, we moved a lot, and then we decided we could worship God at home and stayed away from church for almost 20 years. God sent me and on a path to come back to him. Um, through stress and pressures of the family, um, I got turned into um, getting addicted to pornography, which ended up causing several things in my marriage, everywhere from control of my free time to placing false visions of women to trust in the marriage that was broken and even communication that broke down. After in 2010, my wife walked out and divorced me and took the three kids. Um, at that time, I thought life was great. I had a good life. I had a high-paying salary. I had a half a million dollar home, wife, kids, and I thought everything was great. Well, it's kind of funny how God can take everything away from you to catch your attention. Um, at that point, I lost my house to foreclosure. My wife and kids were moving away for a job in Ohio. Um, and I ended up having my car foreclosed and then ended up losing my job as well. So at this point, I was at the lowest part and 
started turning back to what I learned in my teens was trusting in God and believing in God. And I started seeking God again, um, started turning back to him, studying the word again. And an apartment building that I had moved when I lost my house to foreclosure, I met a family there that said, why don't you come to our church and visit? It's right down the street. We would love to have you. So I turned there and visited um, and started talking with them. And one night, ended up going to a men's retreat there at their church. Um, at that men's retreat, um, they were praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and for the men of that church. And that night, God released me and released all the stress, all the pressures, Hallelujah. all the fears, Hallelujah. and filled me with the Holy Spirit that night. At that point in my life, I had no job. I had no house, basically, and no income. And that night, I turned to God and said, okay, I'm an open book. Where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to serve? And where do you want my job to be for you? And where can I grow? Surprisingly, the next day, Monday the following that Sunday, God had two recruiters recruiting me for a job in Omaha, Nebraska for a company called Cabela's. Um, he led me here and then eventually to Sydney, Nebraska for four years. And my sister joked, she said, God sent you to the wilderness like Moses so he could deal with a few things in your life. <laughs> and he did. He got rid of the pornography. He helped me grow and spiritually he got me involved into a startup church there where I ended up meeting Bishop Powell ended up moving me back to Omaha, which brought me to TCO. And here I got water baptized in Jesus' name and started serving at this church. I think some things that God has taught me through all of this journey is a few things. God had mercy for me for 25 years when I turned my back on him. God had mercy on me and freed me from the pornography and the addiction that had taken over and controlled my life and took my time and direction off of him. God provided a job that led me to TCO and the water baptism and learning of Jesus' name and the one true God. God provided a loving and a teaching pastor to help me grow. God allowed me to serve him daily here and in everything I do today. God has also led me now to a wonderful life that is a fiancé in the Philippines, which I'm trying to bring here now on a fiancé visa to be my wife and serve with her together for God. I think also God has taught me a few things of seeking God with all your heart and with all your soul, um, being baptized in Jesus' name and being baptized in the Holy Spirit and also giving faithfully of my tithes and offering to God, as described in Malachi 3. God will, will bring people into your life that can help build you up. You just need to listen and look for those and trust in him that he will guide you through. Thank you. Amen. Sister Cynthia is coming as well. Thank you, Brother Michael. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm enjoying all these testimonies. Amen. God's doing great things. I hope you're joining them online as well. Amen. In Jesus' name. Somebody just say, thank you, Jesus. Isn't God good? Amen. Praise God. Praise God. nervous. <laughs> okay. Hi, my name is Cynthia. Um, this is my testimony before I met Jesus. I was broken, empty, hopeless, betrayed, lost, abused, depressed. <sighs> I grew up in a Catholic home where we went to church every Sunday. To be honest, um, I grew up in a, oh, I'm sorry. To be honest, I grew, I'm sorry, hold on. I grew up in a Catholic home where we went to church every Sunday. To be honest, I really didn't care about it. I just went because it was normal. Um, we lived in California at that time. 
My dad was married to my mom. They worked all day, so they were gone most of the time. I stayed at home with my older sister and her husband. One day I found out that my mom wasn't my mom, but my stepmom. It was around the age of eight to 10 when this happened. I was beyond confused to who my mom was. Then I found out that my mom had abandoned me when I was small. I really, I really couldn't believe, couldn't believed it. Thank you. But I didn't dare to ask my, my parents. Eventually they told me it was true, but told me not to worry about it. How was I not to worry about it? It crushed my heart to hear that the woman who gave birth to me would do this to me. I had so many questions that I didn't know if I would get, if I would ever get an answer to. I was lost, confused, broken. I had so much loneliness. I had to live like this for 23 years. Not knowing who she was, part of me was gone. I asked myself, why me? Is there something wrong with me? that not even my own mom loved me enough to keep me by her side. I thought no one could ever love me because my own blood couldn't. And then once again, I started to believe it even more. One day the unthink unthinkable happened. I was sexually molested by a family member who was supposed to be there to protect me, yet wasn't. This happened on for years, changing my life for the worse. I didn't trust anyone anymore. I ended up not telling anyone because I knew no one would believe me. Similar things happened as I grew up with other family members. At the age of 13, we moved to a new place. I really didn't want to move because I had friends and my whole life was there. I became rebellion on purpose. I started to ditch school. I started to hang out with the wrong people. I, I started to smoke, but not long after that, I started to see the consequences to those choices. As I got older, my relationship between my dad and I became distant. He became abusive with me physically and emotionally. He would get angry and he would hit me until he made me bleed and scar with not feeling sorry. So I grew apart. I started to close myself. I grew bitter against him. I started to hurt and silent. I felt lost. I felt, I felt lost and empty. I thought, will this ever end? I started to put walls around me and became colder in the inside. The more abusive he became, the more hurt and lost I felt. Till I reached a point where I didn't think life mattered. There were several times where I wanted to end my life. I was tired of the life I was living. I had gone through so much pain, I blamed God for not helping me and not coming to my rescue. I hated God, but every time I was ready to end my life, something would always stop me. I didn't know what it was, but it felt peaceful and calming. I knew God existed, but I chose to shut him down for my life. At the age of 18, I met a guy I was in love with. I thought he was the solution to my problems. We got engaged, we were pregnant, and ready to get married. Two months later, I found out he was cheating on me. My whole life crashed down. 
The little hope I had was snatched away from me. I became depressed, hopeless, and I became even more lost. I started to live in a way that I did not care for anyone or anything. In between that time, I met my now husband with, without me looking for him. We met, and I remember one night that me and him were supposed to go out. I went out with somebody else. But that night, something happened. I felt something in my heart. I was done living the way I was. I wanted change. I had a choice. Continue the way I was living with the other guy or change and be with my husband. Me not knowing that he was apostolic. That night, I chose to trust. I felt safe and peace. Within a month, we moved. Of knowing each other, we moved together. Finally, God brought me home, and I came to the Church of Omaha. Work where I met God and the church family God had for me. I was afraid and unsure of what was going to happen from here on. But God showed me that I could trust him and that he wasn't going to hurt me or leave me. That I could put my walls that I had built down. That the girl that wondered if she was worth didn't have to wonder anymore. The girl that was lost and hopeless, broken, was about to experience God's love for her. Slowly, I started to put my walls down. I made the best decision in my life when I repented and was baptized. To think God loved me so much to forgive me. It had been the best decision I had ever made. I am beyond grateful for God's love for changing my life. Now as I look back, I know it was God that was beside me through it all. That he never left me, even when I did not know him. God restored everything the enemy tried to break me down with. He restored what, I, what was lost and made it new. He restored the years of hurt and pain that I had with my dad and gave me seven years of happiness and love between my dad and I before he passed away. God's hand has been in my life with no doubt. Amen, amen. Wow, what a God we serve. Amen. What a God we serve. Pastor Trevor and Sister Tabby are coming and share their testimonies with us now. One more time, let's just thank the Lord together. Amen. Is he worthy? My family started attending an apostolic church in 2000. In June of 2001, I received the Holy Ghost at Nebraska's family camp. The following Sunday, I was baptized in Jesus' name. We attended an apostolic church in Fremont for the next few years. When I was 12, we moved to Iowa. We left the only church we had known. We moved to a small town where everyone knew everyone. There was, no apostolic, there was an apostolic church in a city nearby. The church was small, and there was only one other family with kids. It wasn't the same as the church in Fremont, but it was something. I started seventh grade the year we moved to this little town called Mobile. Middle school went by quickly. I made friends very easily. Shortly after making friends, I would hang out at their houses. We would go to online chat rooms and chat with other people, mostly older guys, and the content of the discussions were inappropriate. This was just the start of many inappropriate online relationships with guys. By the end of middle school, I was falling away from God, but I was going through the motions and trying to stay connected. Throughout high school, I started to drift away from God and church even more. My outward appearance changed to fit in with everyone else. I dove into a relationship with someone who I was sure I was going to marry. The choices I made with him while in this relationship were solely based on the thought that I was going to marry him and, we were, and were not pleasing to God. The relationship ended, but the individual was in and out of my life for the next few years. At some point during this time, I was introduced to cigarettes, alcohol, and marijuana. 
I wouldn't say I partied, but there were many occasions of drinking and making poor decisions with the people I interacted with. After that relationship with the one that I thought was the one, I would send myself down a road of looking for attention for the wrong reasons. I thought to myself, why does it matter? I already messed up. So I took myself down a road of unhealthy relationships. Even though I was drifting, I went to church camp in the summers to repent and refuel. I would promise God that I wouldn't go back to my old ways, but it never failed. I would mess up. At the, that time, I wanted to please people more than God. I felt guilty for going back and doing the same things that I said I wouldn't do. But at the same time, it didn't matter. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. For, the, for those few years, I did just that. I did what I wanted. All this time, I would walk a fine line of doing my own thing and feeling a call back to the church and God. After graduating high school a semester early, I decided to attend Apostolic Bible Institute in Minnesota. My intention was to try to get back on track. I was still connected to church and people in church, so I wanted to give Bible college a chance. It was short-lived and I moved back home after a semester. That summer, my sister Brittany and I decided to attend Iowa Western Community College in Council Bluffs. I felt like I was on an okay path. I was not necessarily in church, but I wasn't making poor decisions. Shortly after starting college there, I entered another relationship with someone that I had known for a few years. We dated for a while, but ultimately ended on bad terms. At that time, I was at a point where I was done seeking just any relationship. I wanted something different, so I made a list of things I desired in a relationship, and I kept it with me. In 2012, Brittany started attending the Church of Omaha, and I too would come occasionally. In 2013, I met Trevor. He lived three hours away. He attended an Assembly of God church. He was involved at his church, so I started to attend church more and refocus my relationship with God. I mean, I was trying to impress this guy, and I didn't want to be fake. Little did I know he was doing the same thing. Believe it or not, he was an answer to my prayers because that list I made, I could check off all the things on that list. I invited him down one weekend and he came to church. I was happy in our relationship. I was doing what I always did, walking that fine line of living for God and not. After we got married, I felt like I was finally enough. My relationship with God was getting better and better. I knew that everything in my past was now truly in the past, and I did not have to live with it anymore. Trevor accepted me for who I was and everything that I had gone through and loved me even more. I didn't expect to grow and be where I am today in the church, but just like that song says, there's nothing too dirty that you can't make worthy. I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. Remember your worth comes through God alone and nothing in this world can take that away. Whew, that's a tough one to follow. Hallelujah. Thank you for the opportunity to have me share my testimony this morning, and thank you, Tabby, for so beautifully sharing yours. Uh, it, was a, it was a time in my life, excuse me, <clears throat> it was a time in my life where I was ready. I was ready to do things on my own. I was ready to step out and live my life to the fullest. Little did I know the stumbling blocks that would come along the way in this journey and just what God had in store for me. It was almost 10 years ago that I set out on a journey that would literally change my life. But it started with a choice to live life my own way rather than how God wanted it to, me, to be lived. This is my journey to truth. Allow me to take you back a few years prior to this point. I grew up in a town of around 6,000 people where literally everyone knew everyone. For me, everyone knew my grandfather, so they reported to him when they saw me doing something I shouldn't. Grandpa, if you're watching this, you can attest to that. I grew up Lutheran, which in my world meant I went to church on Wednesday nights and learned to memorize the Lord's Prayer, you know, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Every Wednesday we would go through that and we would get a piece of candy if we were able to memorize the next line. For me, 
I was, I was not one for memorization, so it just didn't work for me. It was, it was really just a mere getaway for me to, to get a delicious snack and possibly an ice-cold soda. From, that, from the time I was six until about eight or nine, I would attend uh, these Wednesday night gatherings, and it was really nothing consistent. It was every so often as I, either I reminded, hey, Mom, hey, Dad, I want to go to church tonight, or they would say, hey, you're going to church tonight for whatever reason. Um, and it was, not, it was not really an important thing to me for, you know. I was, while I was doing these church things, as a, as a six, seven, or eight-year-old, I would have classmates walk up to me in the first grade and tell me that Jesus is real. But I, out of spite for one reason or another, would tell them, he's not real. He's just a puppet. He's made up. He is not real. My classmates would give me weird looks, and they would just carry on. I stopped going to those Wednesday night classes for a few years, uh, having no fellowship with God, whom I did not really believe in anyway. So I continued living, going to school, going home, you know, going to school, uh, occasionally going to my grandma and grandpa's house when my parents would work the endless hours that they seemed to work. Then in the fifth grade, I was asked by someone if I wanted to come to church with them. At that point in my life, I longed for attention. I longed for friendship. It was not something that came very easily to me. I, I was not one that people wanted to befriend in school, and on the contrary, was one that people picked on. In fact, as a first grader, I learned many derogatory phrases and words, mostly because they were pointed in my direction. There were boys in that class as a first grader who would refer to me as those things and would not let it go. And that set me on a path of really a lot of loneliness. And I remember a few years after that as a, as a fourth grader where I first came across pornography. And that was my answer at that time. I turned to that because I got the attention I wanted, even though it had nothing to do with me as a fourth grader. Going back, you know, throughout that time and, at, and into fifth grade after being asked to go to church, I attended my first church service at North Park Assembly of God. I liked it. It was great. I felt accepted. Ooh, I finally felt accepted. So what did I do? I went back every Sunday and every Wednesday. I would be picked up faithfully by the church van. I would wait outside for hours on end, and if it never came, who you want to talk about a letdown. I finally felt home. I would be baptized in the titles, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and thought, great, now I'm set. But I wasn't. Through the next few years, I would still long for something more. I would still continue seeking attention where I could get it. Something was missing, and I was trying to fill it. Moving forward to high school, I transferred to a high school that was in a town a few miles down the road from where I lived. And you thought everybody knew everybody in my town. Go to the next town over where there's only 270 people, where literally everyone knew everybody's past, histories, futures. People knew who they were going to marry 10 years before they knew it. Amen. Now, I went there for a visit, and all eyes were on me. You want to talk about a nerve-wracking experience where everybody's looking at, who's that? Who, who's this new guy? What's he doing here? Ooh. Uh, the, the school year started later on that year, and since I was the new kid on the block, everyone wanted to know more about me. I thought, finally, I'm being accepted. People like me. Once they found out more about me, uh, then they pretty much threw me by the wayside and no longer talked to me. That was very short-lived. I had, I had no idea, uh, and no one could prepare me for that point of, of that type of rejection. Uh, while I had experienced that in the past with other classmates and, and other areas, the level that had happened here was a bit more magnified. I had a bit more intelligence as to, you know, why it happened and things like that. So there I was left alone again. I still had the church, but something was missing. Something was not there. There was an emptiness. There was a void that could not be filled. 
or at least so I thought. I laid low for most of high school, not really getting involved in anything. I did try to fit in by playing sports uh, like football and golf, and I, I, tr you know, I, I joined the band and the choir and, and those types of things, which were literally on opposite ends of the people circles in that school. So I was just trying to fit in wherever I could. Then my senior year came. I hit a very low point my senior year. I came down with mono and mycoplasma and all that stuff, and I was really close to dropping out of high school, but thankfully the teachers worked with me and that didn't happen. But during that time, I fell into a very low place. I was, I was ready to be done with this time in my life. I was just ready to move forward. And there was really nothing that was, that was holding me back. I was in and out of relationships that really just weren't working. There was, there was still that void. There was still that emptiness. I attempted at that time as a, as a junior and a senior to, to fill the void by turning to alcohol. All the while, you know, smoking cigarettes religiously, I didn't know what to do. I did not see a way out. This was my way out. The, this alcohol, this alcoholic beverage, these, these cigarettes, these drugs were my way out. My, I, I did not see any other way. My physical body would attend church, but my mind would be elsewhere. When was my next drink? When could I get another however much of, of this marijuana over here? When would I get the attention I desire again from so-and-so? This, this continued for a couple years as I went to college and three years later dropping out of college. At that point in, my t in time, in 2011, I couldn't care less who thought what of me. But at the same time, I was looking for attention in all the wrong ways, in all the wrong places. I was partaking in things that I should not have partaken in. Along this journey, though, the stumbling blocks that I laid forth were blessings in disguise. It was at this time that I, that I was in a very low spot. You know, it was up and down and up and down, or at least so I thought, but I was always in that low spot, and I could not see a way out. I felt stuck for the life of me. I felt like things kept going down, down, deeper, deeper. I kept feel like I was falling deeper into this pit that I was in. Psalm 23, 3 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And friends, all the while, God was still with me. He never left me. Hallelujah. Even though I brought this time of darkness upon myself, it was nobody but me. By first walking away from God, he was still there to comfort me. I had nothing else to hold on to, literally. No one could help but God. It was at this point when I had nothing that I turned to him and realized that he really was the only one who could provide this unspeakable joy, this unconditional love, this truth that I longed for the whole time. He was the only one that could fill these voids that I longed for. Honestly, I was not one to read the Bible myself. Growing up, and I don't mean to, to make this sound any other way than it sounds, but it wasn't something that was taught or an important thing to do. There was a, reason, there was a season in my life that I fell into rather quickly, and it ended just as quickly as that. I thought that I was in love, so I pursued that to the fullest. To the point of a ring on her finger, that ended very abruptly, and I, again, was left with nothing but God. Through that time, I was able to mend my prayer life and my relationship with God. He was all I had to turn to. In the time that I was alone, I would study and read the Word for myself. I wouldn't leave my house. I wouldn't go to church. I wouldn't do anything like that. I would stay home, and I would spend afternoons or all day just reading the Word, trying to get something from it. That is when the truth jumped out to me. That is when my life changed forever. It was at that moment in the afternoon on an August day in 2012 that I found, not to its fullest, but I found something, that something that was missing in my life. So sometimes, some time went by, 
A few months went by. This shadow had been lifted as I continued to clean up my life of things that I did not need. I continued to study the Word, longing for more time with God. In January, I began talking with Tabitha. We hit it off really well. I attended one or two services with her here at the Church of Omaha. I liked the church. I, you know, I felt good here. I remember Pastor Lucas talking my ear off one of those first services that I was here, and I appreciate that very much. But, you know, I, I, I'll be honest. I, was not, I wasn't sure about seeing all these people in suits and ties. I'm like, whoa, people get really dressed up at this church, and they really have some good church. But I also thought, you know, if I never come back here again, that's okay with me. I didn't know much about the church, but I liked it. Nothing was really holding me here, though. So, moving forward, Tabitha's parents obviously knew that we began to date each other. Tabitha has a very good relationship with her parents, so they know everything. Amen. That's okay. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. So, Tabitha told me that her dad wanted to speak with me about what they believe. Her dad is sitting right over there. And I remember her telling me that if I was going to date her, I was going to know what they believe. And I thought, okay, well, let's have a talk. A couple days went by, and I was sitting in the basement of a, a previous pastor of the uh, Assembly of God Church that I began to attend shortly uh, before that time, and I received the phone call. My heart began to race, just like it's doing now, <laughs> as, I, as I talked with Chris. And after all, he was my girlfriend's dad. I, I, you know, I wanted to impress him, you know. I wanted to say, yeah, I want to hear what you got to say, you know. That was, that was me. I was presented with the gospel by my father-in-law as a sort of, you do this or you can't date my daughter moment. So, of course, I did it, and I listened. Now, as I listened to what he was telling me, there were tears that began to flow down my face. Because he, what, what he was telling me, God had shown me months before. From that day forward, <laughs> there was no turning back. I received this truth. I came to church that Sunday. I had not planned on coming that Sunday. I was thinking, oh, a couple weeks down the road, I'll be back again, you know. I came to church that Sunday, and God literally knocked me on the floor about over there where you're sitting, Brother Sal, right there. That, that's my spot. I was laying there basking in His presence. God had gotten a hold of me in such a way. I was, I was just basking there. And, and the evangelist, Ryan Neer, who, by the way, is going to be here this weekend, came over to me and told me these exact words. He said, you've been baptized in the title. You need to be baptized in the name. I sprung up from the floor and wanted to be baptized in Jesus' name right there. I, I was not prepared in any way, but my heart was prepared and I was ready to go. There was no turning back for me at that point. I thought, this is exactly what I've been missing. I, I, I was baptized in Jesus' name. I received the gift of the Holy Ghost, and I was. That very day, there was no turning back. I finally found that missing piece, that the only thing, Jesus Christ, to fill that void. Now, my testimony continues with the blessing of marrying my wonderful wife, Tabitha, and our wonderful children, Amelia and Callan. Sometimes I look back and wonder where I would be without God. My past has been covered in the blood of Jesus. There's no turning back. I'm all in. I pray this has been a blessing to you. In closing, I want to end with this. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. He is there for you. He is waiting for you with open arms. Reach out to him. Receive him. He loves you, and he wants to be with you. Hallelujah. Aren't these rich, beautiful testimonies of what God is doing? We laugh, we cry, but mostly we rejoice in who God is and in what He has done. Why don't we stand together? Amen. We're going to sing one final song as we're wrapping up this service. But just because this service might be coming to an end doesn't mean that you're 
possibility for an encounter is coming to an end. As you just heard, Trevor began to look into the Word for himself. And in one of those moments, God began to reveal himself to Trevor. Little did he know his future father-in-law would one day share with him the Word of God, and it would be that very thing, confirming and affirming God's Word. So I want to encourage you, you can have an encounter with Jesus anywhere. You can have it right now. Amen. There, I'll tell you, the power of God is still here, and His mercy is still here. Hallelujah. Amen. So we're going to sing, that's what His mercy did for me. Amen. We're going to worship that uh, God who is the God of mercy as we close up this service. And if you need prayer or want prayer, I want you to come around the front. I want you to get one of the pastors. We'll come pray with you. If you're online, put a, put a comment in the field. We'll look at it and we'll pray with you. God wants to give you an encounter today. Amen. Let's worship the Lord.